Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, we're George and James and we're getting pretentious with the first ever Mercury Prize winning album, Screamadelica by Primal Scream. James just reminded me of that juicy little fact. I did, yeah. That's good. See, that's it's like we're just on it. Boom. Yeah. 1991, this album came out. I actually didn't think it was that old. Uh, no, I thought it was probably later on in the 90s, but I think you can definitely hear the tail end of the 80s coming into it. Um, yeah. When you, tail when end you of, listen to it. Actually, is it the beginning of the acid scene or the end? not sure oh it's a good question i i feel like it's i mean here it says drawing inspiration from the house music scene which was blossoming at the time so around the time i guess yeah i'm literally just googling acid house oh it says late eight 1980s through to 1990s so yeah so, I mean, we've just sort of jumped straight in, which is unusual for us. We have. We um, usually have had multiple um, tangents. Tangents and conversations first. Yeah. Um, for instance, I was editing, uh, at the time we record this, uh, this is a Monday, uh, the episode four will be coming out on the Friday as we record this. By the time you've heard this, you'll have heard episode four many moons ago. Yeah. Uh, but episode four was the Childish Gambino Wow. album because of the internet and i was editing that last night and it took us 15 minutes before we even mentioned childish gambino wow um yeah so this is quite impressive for us that we just should jump straight, straight in straight in we're still in lockdown by the way if you uh confused about the audio although by this um, point you're quite used to the audio quality yeah we've <laughs> we, this is the, is it the third fourth, fourth podcast Fourth podcast we'd, we've done in, in lockdown. We're actually being quite productive, so... We're trying. That's good, yeah. Um, so, Screamadelica, you've never, you'd never listened to this album before we... No, I'd heard... Uh, listened to it for the podcast, had you? I had heard songs, but... Yeah. Beyond that, no. No idea. So, what was your initial sort of... Uh, thoughts about primal scream going into this record i just i had very it was very dad music in my mind um Fair. what do you mean by dad music for those who what do i what do i mean by dad music just like something that was seen as very almighty back in the day but has aged yeah not so well and do you feel the same about this album having listened to it or is it no. complicated? No, not oh, at all. Okay. Not at all. So I've come yeah, a long I think, way. Because <laughs> I think Primal Scream, uh, if you haven't heard this album, I mean, this is really my only reference point for Primal Scream. Oh yeah, Scream I've, not, I've not listened to another album. 
Um, and I've heard other stuff, and it's sort of just kind of nineties rock. It's kind of nineties indies rock. It sort of yeah. sounds like everything else. That's kind of why I um, expected a little bit. And you listen to this album, and it's no, <laughs> it's completely different. It's almost like a DJ set. Yeah, and a lot of people credit that for, to Andrew Weatherall, who. Uh, of course, uh, died recently. Um, but he like famously remixed Loaded. Yes. Which is kind of a centerpiece of the album, I think. Um, and actually he remixed it from a, an old Primal Scree song that's on the first record called I'm Losing More Than I'll Ever Have. Um, it sounds completely different, but you can hear that if you go back and listen to that, you can hear the little guitar bits he's taken and yeah. put into this basically acid house dance track. I think it's it's amazing hearing a band that affected by one scene mm. to go. It does feel like quite a U-turn with their sound from what I've read about it. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. It it almost sounds like a. It it almost sounds like it's not them. Yeah, at all. Or it's like somebody has done a remix album of them, which is, I always used to like when I was first listening to it. I was thinking, is there a is this a remix album? Is there like another album? Mm. I was like, is this is there something that I've completely missed in history that this is an album? that's then been remixed yeah it really threw me off for a bit i went down a deep dive of wikipedia articles uh what i found interesting as well because it starts with moving on up is it moving on up or moving? yeah yeah moving on up which when you hear it i think it sounds like a rolling stone song and then i looked at the producers and jimmy miller produced that song who produced most of the best Rolling Stones albums. Interesting. So you go, okay, so that's why that one sounds a lot like Rolling Stones. It feels like Primal Scream have almost sort of given up, which I can't imagine someone like Bobby Gillespie, who seems to have the biggest ego going. (laughs) I can't imagine him just giving up sort of creative control to these producers, because that's what it feels like. It feels like moving on up to... A Rolling Stones track. It feels like songs like "Come Together" and "Loaded" are, are, are like an Andrew Weatherall DJ set. Yeah. So it feels like they've almost just gone. Well, we've got these songs, but sort of do what you think is best with it. Yeah, it because it's. I would maybe get it because their album before this, "Primal Scream" and "Sonic Flower Groove," were both three, four, five years before, if that. Mm. Like Primal Scream, the album, was two years before Scream Adelica. And it sounds right. nothing like Scream Adelica, really. No, no. I could get the transfer more if there was like a five-year gap of no music. But this is just such a quick turnaround of sound. Yeah. But maybe that's what Acid will do for you. <laughs> yeah. That's true. 
So going in, you thought Primal Scream, dad music. Yeah. Not bothered. Yeah, pretty much. Um, how did your thoughts evolve as you listened to the record? Um, like I've, I've, had, I've had to listen to it quite a lot. Not in a bad way, but just to kind of try and make sense of it. Because it's an hour-long record. Mm. And it traverses through a lot of different fields. It's. I kept coming back to the thought of it being it was made in 1991 and what sort of music was around at the time then. And this yeah. must have been quite a bomb of a album. Just, hello, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> we're Primal Scream. You've never heard music like this before. Because I can't, I can't think of many other albums like this even from the eight, like from mid to late nineties, I can, I, I understand after listening to it, why it was so influential. And why you would probably give it the first music, uh, Mercury prize. Yeah, definitely. Although I don't actually, I didn't look to see what else was nominated. So I just, I just, I literally just did that because I thought I preempted that we would say that. So, also nominated that year was U2's Actung Baby, uh, Celebration by, I'm going to get this pronunciation wrong, Becky Mzeleku? Sorry, probably, probably murdered that. Don't know. Chorus, Irasia, Fox Base Alpha, San Etienne, Honey's Dead, The Jesus and the Mary Chain, Protecting Val John's Havanas. To be honest, so I, I mean, there's about four more. There's like Simply Red, Barry Addison, Young Disciples. I, I, apart from you two, I'm not sure I've heard any of those albums. No, definitely not. I, I've probably in my childhood heard Simply Red's Stars, probably, just because it's dad music. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting that... Um, there's like a clear album that won, like Scream and winning. It's the clear one where people still talk about it today. Yeah. Whereas you don't hear people, even that U2 album, you don't really hear people talking about it. No, people even talk about U2. U2 as more like a an entity. Yeah. So they definitely picked right in terms of... Yeah, it definitely... A winner. You see, the thing that I was really on the fence about the whole time listening to it was, is this album, has it aged well? Right. I don't, I, it's hard to say whether it has actually aged well. How would you define aging well? Um, I know that's a very difficult question, but... I think something that stops something feeling old to me is quite often in the choice of sounds. Right. Which is why I think quite often a lot of really out there, for example, um, oh, I can't remember his name now, Pierre Henri, I think his name is, from the 50s, who was right. at the forefront of music, concrete music, which is pretty much just Foley in a rhythm. <laughs> um, yeah. But because he was at the forefront of that, style there was a lot of clunkiness to it there was a lot of stuff that nowadays just sounds like a load of chopped up tape 
that's been picked up right. off the floor. So it hasn't aged well, but it's still it still feels important. A bit like craft work as well. A lot of the sounds yeah. used feel feel very outdated now, but they're still important in what what was happening. Yeah. That's how this album feels a bit to me. It's like the roars. There's a roars at the beginning of a track in um, Scream of Delica that I can imagine at the time over the sound systems that we had sounded really ominous and creepy, but it now sounds like something you'd get on a $20 Casio keyboard from eBay. Right. Higher Than The Sun is one that has a lot of sound effects yeah. that just haven't aged well. But I don't... I, does that stop it from being a good album? I don't think so. It's interesting though as well because you talk about... We talk about how there's certain sounds that Craftwork do that feel dated and like sound effects that feel dated now when you listen to it because you could get it on a... You could get it on a keyboard now. Yeah. I mean, that's almost... In a way, it's like... A, you're almost saying something good about the album as well as saying something bad because the fact that you can get those sounds on a keyboard now is probably because of yeah the influence of those artists yeah that, but then that's a really important thing to keep in mind but then that makes it feel dated because any of us have access to to do that now but and I so mean, you feel like this is happening quicker and quicker as well because I'm. Mm. Even just listening to early Daft Punk now is starting to feel outdated. Yeah. So it's it happens so quickly, even now. Like dubstep, kind of early Skrillex dubstep feels outdated already. Yeah, tired and... Yeah. So Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so if, if an album's not aged well, do you think it you struggle to enjoy it as much or...? I think I have to be in a different mindset because of doing a fair bit of production on a day-to-day basis. I purposely try and be quite conscious with my ears. So then to be listening to an album that you know and sounds like it's come from the 80s, 90s. Yeah. I almost feel like I have to turn off part of my brain to be like, this isn't going to sound as good as I would like it to. Right, okay. It's like eating a biscuit from Lidl's. It can be look exactly the same, but you know that it's from Lidl's, so you got to measure the expectation. <laughs> but it's also like when you go and watch, uh, well, it's know, like, old films, old films that are considered classics. Yeah, I, um, I want to. You have to. I watched Lawrence of Arabia, or at least a little bit of it, the other day, and it was yeah. like this is a low budget film nowadays, but it's still good. Yeah. You have to like consider. I mean, even when you watch something as sort of seminal as like two thousand and one, yeah, there's still and it's an amazing film, and like technically a brilliant film. Mm. But there's still bits in that that feel a little bit clunky sometimes, just because they didn't have yeah the means to do it. But then there's the Star um, Wars thing. The original three Star Wars films, I think, have aged better than Star Wars Episode One. Yeah. I mean, I think that's partly down to, like, models are always going to look better than CGI because CGI is just going to uh, age Yeah, apart quickly. from 
apart from these days. Well, yeah, but like CGI, early CGI. Yeah. Was ne- it looks like you're watching a... I, I saw Avatar recently oh, on what? the telly. I watched it. I didn't like rewatch it. it I just, just like, saw it on the te- <laughs> It was on the telly. And it looked like a PS2 game. Well, not PS2. That's probably harsh. PlayStation I, but it looked like 3 a PlayStation. or 4, yeah. Yeah, it looked like a PlayStation game. It didn't look... When I, but I remember seeing it and being like, this looks amazing. Yeah. And Do you think that's going to be already? A I think it's aged. Do you think that's going to be a challenge when they release Avatar two and three? What? Because you're going to notice the difference. Do you think between Avatar and Avatar two? Yeah. Or maybe. I mean, are they? So... Maybe it's taking so long because they're remaking the first one as well to make it look better. I mean, it, are those films ever going to come out? I. I I reckon they've spent enough money on them that they need to put them out. But like, how long has it been? Since they started, didn't they start in like 2017 or something? I think so, but I think the thing that they've been, I think what they've been doing is using AI to basically build a planet. Right, okay. So that they can use the whole planet as a, because I wouldn't be surprised if Avatar 2 comes out and it has a massive TV series that goes along with it, all on Disney+. Plus. Maybe. Apparently... They're currently planning for release in 2021 with three sequels. What, so being so, three, four, five? Yes, there's Avatar 2 coming out December next year, is yeah. the idea. Who knows if now what's happened with the world, that might even be pushed back, depending on where yeah. they are with it. Then December 2023 for Avatar 3, Avatar 4 in 2025, and Avatar 5 in 2027. So it's like two... like. One every other year now. They're going Star Wars on it. They're going Star Wars on it. Maybe that's going to be the new Star Wars for a few years. I don't know how they're going to get enough. Because, like, the first film was just... I don't know, there wasn't enough in there for me to warrant four or five sequels. (laughs) I don't... the, The world is... No, you make a good point. Because even Lord of the Rings has its limits yeah like you could maybe squeeze out a game of thrones style series out of lord of the rings but then you'd be well they are aren't they what of lord of the rings yeah did you not see amazon of uh oh god amazon are doing i mean it's the most it's one of the they spent a ridiculous amount of money for the rights to do it it might be good i'm not gonna shit on it beforehand but like with lord of the rings and something like avatar it's just one planet that's there's a limitation there. I think the beauty in Star Wars and also the hindrance is that it's infinite in a way. Mm. Like you've gone all the way back to the Old Republic, all the way to where we are now. Yeah. Whereas the Lord of the Rings, it's kind of, it's a bit stuck. Actually, don't you find it interesting how, I mean, J.R. Tolkien, when did he write Lord of the Rings? It was a while ago, quite a while ago. Like 40s, wasn't it? 50s? Yeah. 50s? 50s, Lord of the Rings? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny how... The Hobbits earlier. In film and TV, we can carry on those stories. But with music, people don't kind of pick up where Miles Davis left off and do another Miles Davis concept album. Like, do you think if da- uh, Damon Albarn died... Somebody else could pick up the torch of gorillas and like carry it on. I mean, I suppose 
There's a, yeah. There is a few yeah. bands that have done stuff similar, like Doctor Feel Good, where all the members yeah. are dead, or not dead, but have left. Yeah, yeah. There are definitely certain bands that you look at the lineups and there's yeah. like there's no one left really from the original. Yeah, like the Sugar Babes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just find it very interesting how accepted sequels are in film and TV. I suppose it's because it's storytelling more so than music is a lot of the time. I think there's something about music that feels more personal. Yeah. Like you um, wouldn't get um you wouldn't get Eminem's kid doing Marshall Mathers LP3 in 20 years 30 years time. I doubt. Yeah. But I think it's the same with um art like painting and stuff. Yeah. Obviously, you get people that imitate styles like you do in music. Like, style becomes uh, yeah. imitated. But you don't have someone re- redoing old Picassos. And, you know. No. I suppose the closest you get to a sequel with an album is doing it as a musical. And I don't know where <laughs> I stand on that. Um, Imagine Scream- Screamadelica the musical. Isn't that just a Saturday night in Manchester? Probably. Um, <laughs> no. In the Hacienda. Um, um, yeah, where do you stand with this album then? I don't think you've been that open about it yet. Uh, uh, so th- I think it was interesting for me because I thought when I suggested it to you yeah. that I'd heard it before. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those. And I albums, definitely have. It's, you you would think that you'd heard it before. I, I kind of thought I had. And I definitely have. There are certain tracks that I've heard over and over and over again. So like loaded, uh, come together, moving on up. Those three tracks, yeah. I. They're you know, they are they are those songs that I've listened to over and over again in the past. Um. But I'm not actually sure I'd listened to the whole album before mm. this, like in one sitting. So that was quite interesting, doing that for the first time. Um, I think what struck me is that, yeah, I, I definitely think it's, it's, it's of an era. Yeah. And I don't think it ages as well as, okay, so it's a bit after. But like you listen to, you listen to something like a Fatboy Slim record, which granted is yeah. a few years down the line after this. But I feel like something where, and, and obviously they're like, they do a fair bit of sampling in this record. Mm. But I feel like something that's much more sampled, like a Flat Boy Slim record or that. Might the my chemical entra- yeah. entra- like Or like introducing yeah. like the DJ Shadow. Uh, the DJ Shadow record for some reason age is better for me i think because because it is just sampling from loads of different places and yeah um, it makes it more timeless i guess yeah so this feels very of its time period yeah um but i don't think that necessarily detracts from it for me mm. i don't particularly mind it feeling of a period yeah um, i got over that myself as well after a while i think the album really i don't know if you found it as well but it quite it's quite good at absorbing you into it yeah i think that was the thing that struck me yesterday i listened to it 
uh, at night with headphones on. Mm. And just sort of sat there listening to it. And it. Um, we, we always talk about on the podcast about an album being cohesive. Yeah. And I think this is a good example of something that really is. Like, it really just... Mm. Even though some songs are quite different to others in terms of style at times. That's something that surprised me as well. Um, it still feels pretty complete and it still feels like each track sort of links nicely into the next, even if they don't directly link into each other. But it just feels like there's a good flow to the record. And it feels like, I think I keep coming back to the fact that Andrew Weatherall is like a big part of the album it feels like a DJ set to me. feels like a really well put together DJ set. Yeah, there is definitely that aspect. Because I was really struggling after the first one or two listens. I was like, why? How could those songs be so different yet work so well? Like there was points mm. where a song was surprising me. But also I was like, this just feels right. Yeah, there was like... like you have loaded, mm. well, you have come together and then loaded, which are two very much, uh, very much feel like a DJ. Yeah. Like mixing a, a track because you've got all sorts of samples going on and it's just got a good like dance beat to it. Yeah. And then as soon as loaded finishes, you get the song Damaged, which, which is... is like this piano ballad, like, it's kind of you I, that like could have come bizarre. straight off a new Kasabian album, yeah, which is weird. If it, it really, I I didn't start feeling. What was weird is I didn't start feeling uncomfortable until like two minutes into Damaged. I was like, hold on, how did we get here? How have <laughs> yeah. you done this? I'm confused and now intrigued. And it is interesting as well when you look at the list of producers when you. Again, Damage is another Jimmy Miller song. So it's another pro- song produced by the guy who did a lot of Rolling Stones. So mm. more convent. I guess you'd say, I don't know if you'd say, con- well, yeah, more conventional sort of yeah. uh, songs. And then you look at the songs like Come Together and Loaded and In a Flight. It's all Andrew Weather and Hugo Nicholson, who, who are these two DJs. So it's kind of like... To be honest, I think... I think what really makes this album stand out is the the collaboration effort that was put together mm. for this album. I think that is the thing that really shines on this. Like they got mm. the perfect people to meld a few certain genres together into this cohesive psychedelic magic. You can imagine if they didn't get the right people to do this record, it would feel very disparate and yeah. and, and uh, disconnected. It could have easily have felt like a failed David Bowie album or something when he went through that yeah. period of trying every single genre under the sun. Could have easily have been that. Yeah. Instead, they managed to really balance... They, they managed to balance 80s rock with what was up and coming into the 90s and just meld it together as a kind of, here we are, passing over into the 90s and the noughties. Let's get weird. And it's very, I think it's a very feel-good record as well. It could also be a soundtrack in a film. 
like the story it tells. It feels like a film mm. with its ups and downs. It really follows a nice yeah. path. I was very pleasantly surprised by this album. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it. I was expecting to really be like, oh, well, you know, it's an old album. It had its time. Yeah. But I'm actually listening to it. It's one of the most inspiring albums I've listened to so far on this list. Really? That done on the podcast. That's interesting. Yeah. Just really made me think about what makes an album stand the test of time. So that's interesting because uh, on the one hand, you don't necessarily think it's aged well, but you also think it's stood the test of time. As a, cr- so, as a creative project, 100%. Mm. It's like a lot of um, early jazz stuff. Like, Although I don't really listen to much Miles Davis or Art Blakely often, when you do listen to it and you actually think about the way that everyone in the project plays together. Yeah. It, it, that's the sort of vibe I get from this album. That kind of a load of masters getting together to create something really beautiful and pristine for its time. It really feels, yeah, it really feels like everyone is like at their peak. Mm. Um because I don't think Primal Scream have ever really hit that stride again. No, I don't think I mean so. they are a band they are a band that have gone through an insane amount of different members. Yeah. There's only um, one member really at this point. Yeah, it's basically Bobby Gillespie's band, really, yeah. isn't it? But it's interesting. I mean, I guess how do you top that? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's an issue that so many artists have come up against. I mean, look at Kanye West's Dark Twisted Fantasy. That's another good example of getting the right people in the same room, making mm. something incredible. But I think it's what we were saying on the last podcast as well, the Dua Lipa record. Yeah. The future nostalgia thing. It felt like we were talking about how we felt like it worked because of the the different songwriters and producers that she'd got in the room. Yeah. Even even not using some of the best songs songwriters ever. Yeah, like Max Martin and Mark Ronson and stuff. So finding you know, the fact that they the fact that, that Primal Scream and I don't know the the whole history, right, but like the fact that You've got Jimmy Farley producing the first. Uh, Jim, no, it's not Jimmy Farley. Sorry, I'm mixing up all the names. Jimmy Miller mixing the first track. Who you look at his discography, and it's like, yes. Think of any of the best Rolling Stones records, and it's him. Yeah. You almost think you could stop there, right, and just go, let's have this guy. But then you go, well, actually, we need to go and get some cool. DJs to it makes you wonder like do you can you be at the forefront of music as a solo artist like Mm. is the only way to push forward is by collaborating because it seems that is interesting because although because yeah even though he produced some of the best Rolling Stones records it still took him and a few other producers and DJs to make something like Scream Delica yeah it's also interesting, you think of artists that are sort of known for for being 
like a like a creative visionary. So you, we mentioned Bowie, yeah. right? You think of Bowie as being this. A lot of people would think of him as being like a creative visionary genius mm. kind of figure, but then a lot of Bowie's work wouldn't be the same if he hadn't had Brian Eno or Tony Visconti there to help make those records. Yeah. So it's interesting how... It's like um, even James Brown, David Bowie, Prince, even Kanye West, they're just master collaborators. Yeah, Michael Jackson yeah. is another good example. Like Quincy Jones probably made th- that Thriller album what it was. Yeah. And his band, like the drummer on the album, I think it was the Dangerous album for Michael Jackson, mm. had the idea of recording each drum part separately. So they then didn't have right. all of the the sound. They could completely separate the drum sound, which obviously these days, I, I mean, to be honest, even these days, a lot of people wouldn't go through the effort. They would try and just m- make a MIDI or do drum sa- samples. But mm. they actually went through that effort of recording like five or six drum takes on each section of the drums separately. And like, you need the right drummer to do that right. Michael Jackson found it. Because that's painful. (laughs) And that's probably why uh, Primal Scream, maybe they didn't go on to make as good albums, just maybe they lost the, the collaboration spark. Yeah, I think, I just think, Screamadelica is a good example of, um, like we said, having the right people. Mm. I think Screamadelica is a producer's record. Yeah. In that sense. Um, it's, um, I think, it, sort of everyone said this when Andrew Weatherall died recently. It was like, this is the guy who made Screamadelica that, that really sort of took it and made something with yeah. it. Because it's also an interesting idea to go and get a a guy who's who's a DJ to come in and mix a record for a band that, mm. uh, like then, seemed like a pretty straightforward four piece guitar band. Yeah. To go and get a house DJ is a bit of a weird idea. I think potentially that's what made him such a good producer, though. He didn't, it's, I think it's something that a lot of producers maybe get mixed up in as to what their role actually is. And it seems like he actually did the true production role of just getting the best out of the artist Mm. without actually placing too much of it. Like, it's not Primal Scream and Andy, what's his name again? Andy Weatherall. It's not just a... It's not a feature thing. It's not like when Mark Ronson does an album. It's much yeah. it's much more, all right, I'm the producer. You want to do something weird. Let's see how weird we can go. Yeah. I mean, he probably could have been... This is something I heard a lot of when he died. People were saying he could have been like a fat boy slim kind of figure. Yeah, he could have pushed his own fame a bit more. But he was just much more interested in, yeah, like the the work rather than being famous at all for for which what I he did. think any like renowned in the scene producers are they're very they're in it to make great music and albums. They're not in it to mm. show face. 
That's something interesting about Mark Ronson, really, isn't it? That he has sort of managed to become... Yeah. He's almost as famous at this point as the people he produces records yeah. for, I, which is interesting. But then you, comp- you compare him to someone like Rick Rubin. For me, mm. Rick Rubin is held in much higher stead in my head than Mark Ronson. Yeah. No, I would probably agree with that. I feel like most people might not know who Rick Rubin is, though. Exactly. And that's why I respect him a lot more, in a way. And you listen mm. to the albums that Rick Rubin's done compared to Mark Ronson. It's just like, it's obvious. I mean, yeah, it's... it's... But also, he, he, I feel like Rick Rubin's got such a varied discography, yeah. right? Like, he's, he can do a, a hip-hop record like with Kanye West, but then he goes and does... Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like he'll, he'll, yeah, exactly. He, he's like, he'll do these rock records and, uh, and a hip-hop thing. Whereas Mark Ronson, I feel like, has a very... He's like, you know what you're getting with Mark Ronson. Although, having said that, he did that Queens of the, he did the latest Queens of the Stone Age record, which was... True. Interesting. True. Yeah. And we all knew about it. <laughs> yeah, we definitely all knew about it, though, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. It's a, it's a weird world the producer world because you kind you know i just don't it's it's a sort of job where people i feel like they should get their praise but they're also usually the best ones are the sort of people that don't want to get praise they're the patient quiet mm. types the ones that do really well do you think mark ronson i mean this is turning into a podcast about mark ronson <laughs> but do you think mark ronson because whenever you see him interviewed he sort of it feels like he doesn't want the fame. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? He's kind of he is he is quiet and sort of awkward and yeah. But then equally, he seems to put himself out there so much. I know it's weird, isn't it's kind it? Kind of an interesting. Like, I saw him perform a DJ set at Festival uh, a few years right. back under Silk City, and it was him right. and Diplo, and it was so weird seeing Mark Ronson front a DJ set. And like hyping up an audience, yeah. Because in my mind, he is a bit that, awkward. Yeah, that does sound weird. But then also, Diplo's a massive, like in-your-face party head. But again, he's another amazing producer as well, though. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I can't keep track of what projects he's got. LSD, um, Jack U, Major Laser, his own Diplo stuff. He's probably got other projects that he's doing. He did that Dua Lipa. They did that oh, Silk City, Lipa, yeah. They? That was Mark yeah. Brunson as well. Yeah. That was a good that song. That was a good song. It's, a, it's all... It's a bloody weird... Yeah, it's a weird one. Scream Delica has really made me contemplate music. Which makes it sort of fitting that it did win the first Mercury Prize, I think. Yeah. It's an, it's, I mean, it's already an album that's gone down in history. Like, it's been yeah. out for... Nearly 30 years now. What a great advert that is, I think, for the Mercury Prize. I mean, I don't always necessarily agree with the uh, the winners of the Mercury Prize, but a, that's a great advert for them, that their first year... Yeah. They picked Screamadelica, and you listen to it, and it still holds up as an album today. And, and people are still listening to it today. People still care about this record. Yeah, it's an interesting decision to start it on in 1992 as well it's a mm. weird 
weird time to start it. And what a great time to actually have a win. Maybe we should um next next time the Mercury prizes come around, we should do a a little Mercury prize month or something. Yeah, I think we definitely should. Although that would be interesting to see what happens. That would be uh, twenty eight episodes. If we were to just do the <laughs> albums that have been won, that have won, sorry. Well, well, we know you don't like Psychodrama by Dave, so that's already won. No, but I'll give it a re-listen. <laughs> Did you see his Brit performance? I haven't, actually. I probably should watch it. It was very well done. I've heard good things. Um, I mean, it was just clever, like the projection. They, like, he had, they were on a white piano and they like projected onto the piano and stuff. Yeah. And that was quite clever. Um, sort of production-wise, it was just quite interesting. I mean, looking through this, I can actually... Looking through the list, it's quite nice to see... I think it was 2012 when I first got interested in the Mercury Prize. Alt-J. Alt-J, Jesse Ware, <laughs> Django Django, the Maccabees, Leanne Havis, Plan B, Roller Trio. The first Kieran... So Kieran Uke has been nominated for every... Album yeah, he has. Time. Wow. Maybe this year will be the year he wins. Oh, no, he's only been nominated twice, Kiwanuka. Hasn't he only done... He's only done two albums, hasn't he? No, it was his third album, wasn't it? Yeah, but this hasn't... Oh, I get... Yeah, ...come around, yeah. That's what I mean. So so maybe the next one will be the one he... He actually wins. Wins. I mean, I'd put good money on him having a good shot this time. I mean, it does make me laugh that Radiohead staff haven't won yet. Really? I don't think so. Have they been nominated? They've been nominated five times, more than any other artist. Wow. I don't think they have ever won. Skepta beat Radiohead for Moonshape Pool. The year Moonshape Pool came out. Yeah. That's interesting. There's a lot of interesting discussions that could be had around the Mercury Prize. Mm, Maybe we'll get to that at some point. Yeah. Take that. Take that have been nominated for a Mercury Prize. Yes, they have. But so is Ed Sheeran, so they're Fair very again. they're very accepting. Because, uh, I mean, the same year that you had Take That nominated in 94, you also had another Primal Scream album, Pulp, The Prodigy, Blur's Park Life, Blur. and Paul, we- uh, Paul Weller. Big range. I think it's time for a conclusion, James. What are your, what are your closing thoughts? Everyone should listen to this album at some point. Yeah, I think it, I think uh, you'll probably recognise songs that you may not have even known were Primal Scream. Yeah, even if you're not into any acid scenes or pop, rock, indie, psychedelic... I mean, it covers so many genres, you're going to be interested in some yeah. aspect of the album. I would say, yeah, and I would definitely say as well, if, if you've got like a, a conception of what you think Primal Scream are, from having heard other stuff, then don't, yeah. don't just ignore that. Ignore you can even actually, to be honest, you can ignore the fact that it's a primal scream record. It's Screamadelica. It's you yeah, it's Screamadelica. It's not Primal Scream. Yeah, that's a good I think that's a good way of talking about it. It's Screamadelica, it's not Primal it's Scream. It's Screamadelica and it so happened that Primal Scream were part of shaping it. Yeah. Screamadelica is one of those albums out in the world, one of those rare treats where it feels like it was an album that was already made and somebody just came along 
chipped away at it, found it hidden away, and then was like, here you go, world, look at what I just found. Yeah, some of the best music feels like people have discovered it rather yeah. than it's like a lot crafted. It's like a lot of great um like Henry Moore, um, sculptural artists where they're like I, f- I saw the rock and I just found the art within it. That is Scream yeah. Delica. And that's a good place to end. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, then please do uh, share with your friends, subscribe, um, and follow us on our social media channels in the links in the description. And join us next time for George. Peter Gabriel with the album so oh, interesting um hopefully which which george has never listened to so it'll be interesting one and i'm sure we'll probably still be in lockdown when uh when we're recording yeah. that but i hope you listening now on to episode 10 of this podcast is not still in lockdown six weeks on from yeah. when we are recording this um i hope everyone is well and life is back to some sense of normality but for now we will continue to uh experience yeah well on that lovely note see you next week on that jolly (laughs) note (laughs) goodbye (laughs)